This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. with Community Waikato on Free FM 89.0. I'm Holly Snape from Community Waikato and have Roseanne with me, also from Community Waikato. Good to have you here, Roseanne, and appreciate um, you've been doing a lot of work recently to grow an understanding about all the changes we're seeing in incorporated societies um, and the Act. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, don't change channels because you're going to go, oh, and what? It's actually a lot more interesting than you think. And if you're attached to any kind of incorporated society, it's worth knowing about. And and that's you might be involved with a sports club or maybe your child is. You might have a, um, be involved with the local church that might be an incorporated society. Maybe you sit on, on another committee. Um, there are some really big changes that are coming. Um, that are going to require those organisations do some reflections and we're just going to have a chat today about what that all looks like. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Holly. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure being here. Um, and, and for all the all the research you've been doing around incorporated societies. And, you know, it might be good to kind of start off with what is an incorporated society so people kind of understand what it is we're even talking about. Yeah, sure. So incorporated society is, is a legal structure for any... Uh, organisation, uh, not-for-profit organisation, where currently if you've got a minimum of 15 members um, it's uh, where you have a committee and it's where you have a purpose um, whether it might be, as you've been talking about, whether it's a, a church group, whether it's a, a tramping club, whether it's some sort of other sport organisation or a lot of our community houses are incorporated yes. societies. Basically lots of organisations from the 1990s became incorporated societies and it was kind of like it was the model of choice during the 90s. So um, so if you're involved with an organisation that uh, established around about that time and you're not sure what kind of organisation you are, it really is worth checking that out, eh? It, it is indeed. And look, it's um, probably, if you're not sure, um, going on to the New Zealand Company's office under Incorporated Societies and you can check out whether your organisation actually is registered as an incorporated society or not. Uh, what you will have is, is a constitution, which will be your yeah. founding document, your, your set of rules, um, and that is um, you submit that to the incorporated societies it's on the registrar uh, and it, what is really interesting is with the changes to the act um, we'll go into a little bit more detail um, but um, you will have to make changes to your constitution yeah. and, and re-register. That's right and I think that's a big thing there, that whole idea that your organisation has to re-register so we're, we're going to talk about what those changes are um, and, and there are some, some really interesting changes aren't there but can you let us know a little bit about why 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 has this even happened yeah sure so the, the current act is actually um was enacted in 1908 so, oh, we're, talk, we're, so we're talking about 122 years ago i think yes. if my maths are correct uh and so you know it was probably very um apt for back then yeah um but hardly anything has changed to that act since um, 1908 so it's it's really just um you know making sure it's now future proof for the now and and the future yeah uh and there are some uh changes which i suppose because there's been a lot of challenges over the time um the act is going to just tidy up i suppose yeah. some of those um challenges out there um can i ask 
you know, what's can we in a nutshell, what's the difference between an incorporated society and a charitable um, trust? Because they're, they're the two big models in our sector. Yes, they are. So within a corporate society, uh, you act in the best interests of your members. So you will have um, a minimum of 15 members registered with your organisation. Uh, and those members actually then have the right to um, elect the, the committee um, at uh, an annual general meeting each year. Um, and you have the constitution as your founding yep. document. Whereas a charitable trust, um, your founding document is a trust deed and you act in the best interests of your beneficiaries, the people out there who you're wanting to support, whatever that need is yeah. out there. Uh, and you are, I suppose, in a way appointed. Um, yes. You would have had founding trustees when the charitable trust was first set up. Uh, and those trustees then um, oversee the appointment of yeah. new trustees as you go through. Uh, and those uh, trustees, you only really need to have, um, we suggest, a minimum of three trustees. Um, uh, just uh, whereas, um, you know, in corporate societies, you have a committee, um, it, you know, it could be that you have three, it could be that you could have 10, 15 people on your yeah. committee. But you have to have that membership base, and that's actually fundamental, isn't it, to an incorporated society, a membership base? It is indeed. Um, and going forward, there's going to be a few changes to that membership yep. um, around having to have consent from each of those members that they are a member of the um, and, society. And doesn't that sound silly? Like, because you, you kind of assume, well, you know, you are a member, but but actually there have been lots of occasions where people have been had their names put down as a member, but they've never actually consented or agreed to that. No, that is that is so true. And and when it comes to having a committee, um, they have to definitely consent to being an officer on that committee. Yeah. Well, look, let's let's go to some of the changes because uh, there are quite a few of them. Uh, what you know? What are some of the first things that some of the little bits and pieces that people are going to see as a bit of a difference between the old act and what's been proposed? Yeah, most definitely. So first off, probably if I just give a bit of an overview of the timeline. Yeah. Um, there's been uh, actually some changes to that timeline since uh, an act was um, first came out in, in April. Uh, so the new act will come into effect from October 2023. So yep. we've got approximately another 15 months before it actually comes into effect. So if any organisation registers now as an incorporated society, it will still be in under the 1908 Act. Ah. Um, okay. However, in saying that, um, you know, it would be a matter of looking at that constitution that you're developing and probably looking to bring it in line with the changes to the constitution, which will need to come in force from 2023 onwards. Yes. Uh, uh, you will have, however, up until April 2026 to actually re-register. So that's probably the first thing is mm. that every incorporated society, and there's over 23,000 of them across the country, will have to re-register with the uh, New Zealand Company's office uh, and with that submit a new constitution with the required changes yeah. um, under the new Act. Well, you need a lawyer to re-register your organisation? You don't need to have a lawyer um, to help you through that process. Uh, there will be um, some templates, um, constitution templates that will be coming out. 
Um, there's a lawyer firm down in Christchurch, Parryfield Lawyers, who already have a lot of great resources and templates um, for organisations free to download off mm. their website, which we'll give that website um, before we finish. Um, and look, you know, um, it may be that you um, would like to have a lawyer just actually cast their eye over it um, just to make sure that everything you're looking to add in your constitution is in line with the new Act. Um, however, um, there's no necessity um, that it has to be um, uh, done by a lawyer or, yeah. or signed off by a lawyer. And can I, I mean, you may not know the answer to this, and that is absolutely fine, but do you know, if you were to put together your new constitution and submit it, and it had some stuff in there that wasn't right, is is it possible then the company's office is going to go, nope, sorry, we're not going to register that, that, that doesn't look right at all? Yeah, look, good question. Uh, and uh, a couple of the webinars that I've already been on, um, there has been discussion around this, around the compliance and, you know, realistically, is the uh, company's office going to have the resources to That's be right. able to go through each Every of the cons- 23,000 yeah. <laughs> constitutions to make sure that they are... Um, uh, sort of meeting the requirements under the new Act. Um, probably the thinking is no, that that's going to be a massive undertaking by yeah. the company's office if they are going to have someone or someones to actually do that. Um, however, you know, it's probably coming back to, well, why do you have a constitution in the first place? And it's just making sure that, you know, you have sound um, rules in place um, for your organisation so that you don't get into strife, so that, you know, couple of the key um, changes that are going to be a necessity for you to have in your constitution is around a disputes resolution mm. policy. Um, you know, so many organisations don't and then they have an issue around yeah. a dispute and they've got no framework to work within. Um, and so it's it's around about just really providing uh, your organisation and especially for your officers, you know, on your committee with, I suppose, a little bit of protection yeah. and the guidance of what we should and shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And if anything, I'd like to hope that this exercise is going to be a great opportunity for organisations to actually find their constitution. Yes. Whether it's in Dropbox, whether it's in someone's actual... In a dusty old folder. In a <laughs> yep, yep, in, in someone's back cupboard or whatever yes. it might be. And hopefully it's going to be um, an opportunity for them to, to really look at utilising their constitution so that yeah. it's not just a chore to review every two, three years, that it's something that's actually going to be future-proofed um, yes. and it's actually going to assist them going forward. So, you you know, we've, we've sort of flagged that there are a number of changes and, and you have just talked about um, disputes resolution being in there. So currently it's not a requirement of an incorporated society's that's, deed? That's correct. So in the current, 19, yeah, so in the current 1908 Act, um, there's no requirement to have an internal dispute resolution process, whereas in the new Act there is. Can you tell me, is that about members having a, a pathway to have a dispute heard or is this about the people sitting on a committee being able to resolve an issue or is it potentially about both? Uh, it's it's really about both. Um, it's around, I suppose, um, a, a member of the organisation knowing that there is a pathway for them if they do have um, some grievance yes. and they do want to, um, you know, um, sort of appeal you know, um, yes. maybe a decision that's been made or or that they feel that the organisation's been unjust in some way. Uh, so it's a pathway for them. But it's also um, 
giving clear guidance to your committee around the process and the procedure to undertake. Yeah. Uh, things like, um, you know, um, setting out that it must be investigated as reasonably practical as you can, um, that, um, you know, it gives the respondent um, a right to be heard if there's a, a, a grievance claim against them. Um, and just, you know, the opportunity um, for everyone to be yeah. heard. To be honest, I um, in, in roles as an advisor, and, and you've been with our team for over a year, but you were also with Sport Waikato for many years yep. and a lot of incorporated societies in the sports world. Um, you would have seen the outcome of no disputes process in constitutions. Yeah, definitely. And and they just become messy. Yeah. And they drag out and then they can become very, very painful for everyone involved um, when it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Um, probably my advice is, um, you know, it's if a dispute is made and you've got the right process in place that you do actually undertake to, to yeah. work through the dispute as soon as you can. The longer it drags out, yeah. um, the more frustrated people become, the more emotional people come, uh, and then even the credibility of, of the organisation. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, you sort of start thinking, oh, this is just, you know, a yeah. joke. Yeah. Um, so, so the sooner you can get onto it, um, be very transparent about what yeah. you're doing, um, it, um, it it just is so much, yeah. I'm not going to say easier, um, but it's better all around for yeah. everyone. Um, so this is a really positive change, eh? It, look, it is. And most of the changes, I believe, are positive. Great. Uh, and just going to give um, a lot more... Um, guidance yeah. to, to committees, especially if you know you're a fairly inexperienced um, committee. Yeah. Um, it's it's having that framework in place, mm. and so that's where you know looking at your constitution is not just this old boring piece of compliance, yes. <laughs> you know, that's sitting somewhere. It's around how it's a, a workable framework, yeah, um, for you, and it's going to give you that little bit more maybe protection, yeah, um, and and support. Tell me a little bit about the changes to membership because there are some some changes there that are coming. Yeah, look, there are. Ah, and on one hand, you could say um, a positive is that going forward with the new Act, um, you only have to have a minimum of 10 uh, members, whereas currently it's 15. Um, however, they have to be 10 current members. Yes. And I think that's where some very small organisations are going to get caught out. Yep. They might have started off with 15 members, um, but their membership has dwindled for some reason or another, uh, and they might only really have seven or eight active members. Mm. Um, so it's going to be vitally important that you have a minimum of 10 active members, and all of those 10 members have to, somewhere along the line, consent to being a member. Yes. Um, some organisations, you have a membership basis where you register each year, and so that's fine. So that registration um, process will be um, suffice. Yeah. Um, but for others who don't have that process, you will have to have some sort of mechanism to make sure that you can prove that each of your 10 members, or the minimum of 10 members, or all of your members, but having yes. a minimum of 10, um, have all given their consent to be a yes. member of that society. What, what does consent look like? Uh, so it's um, virtually um, either a, a, a online uh, registration or yes. it can be a piece of paper um, where they have provided their um, contact details mm -hmm. and that they have signed that they um, consent to being a member of that organisation. Yeah. The current act doesn't define that you have to have a committee, which seems interesting. It does? Yeah, <laughs> I know. I didn't uh, realise that. <laughs> no, actually, to tell the truth, I didn't either. Um, whereas going forward, the new Act, you have to actually have a structured committee yep. um, with a minimum of three members. 
Um, so that's a, a change and so that, going forward. And that's reflecting, actually, it seems quite aligned with charitable trusts as well. And, and I think some of this was to make sure there's a little bit more consistency across yes, the not-for-profit sector broadly. Most most definitely, yep. And um, also um, in line with um, a, a lot of the other different um, acts out there as well. Like, yeah. Um, the Companies Office, uh, yes. Companies Act, and things like that. Yeah, it's trying to yeah definitely have more consistency um, out there. Um, yeah, so um, look with the committee, um, it's as I say, um, having a committee structure um, comprising um, three or more qualified officers. Okay, um, and what does what does qualified mean? Yeah, so look, that's um, a very good point. So um, it's someone who. Interestingly, has to be a natural person. So yes. a real person. Okay, so that couldn't be in an organisation because sometimes you can have an organisation, I think that's a trustee of a charitable trust, I think. Uh, <laughs> yes, whereas going forward, it'll yes. have to be a nominated, nominated person yes. on behalf of that trust. Great. So um, you can have a, a trust or another organisation as a member of a. Yep. a a larger like um, collaboration hub, whatever it might be. Yeah, uh, and especially in the sporting sector, uh, quite often your clubs are members of a regional organisation, and they in turn are members of a national organisation. Yes, that's fine as a member, but to be an officer, you have to be an a natural person. person. Yes, yes, uh, most most definitely, you have to again consent to being an officer it can't just be oh so and so yeah no we'll just, we'll just call them, them the yeah, yeah we'll just yeah. call them the, the president yeah and uh, a key point is that they have to be certified that they are not disqualified under the act now the act will have more information around what does that mean um but and often it's things like well certainly for jps and the likes it's things like being an undischarged bankrupt yes Yes, um, those those sorts of things. So yeah. there'll be more detail coming yeah. out around what that is. Um, that's for sure. Um, that um, with the officers, they have um, some specific duties, um, which again wasn't explicitly defined in the current act, but is more articulated now yeah. in the new act going forward. So just some of those um, duties are that to act in good faith uh, and in the society's best interests. Um, to exercise powers for a proper purpose. Uh, and there's a couple um, around they have a duty not to create substantial risk um, or serious loss to creditors. Ah. And another one is that they have a duty not to agree to the society incurring obligations that it cannot perform. Now, those two last ones um, actually were debated quite heavily in Parliament by yes. the MPs. Um, as to um, is that appropriate? Does it sound more like from a commercial context? Um, however, after a lot of debate, um, they have been added into this new act. I'm trying to think. Um, so let's think of a duty that um, ex taking on a duty that you can't actually perform. I'm trying to think of an example of what that might be. Um, yeah, good question. Whether it's you um, enter into a contract yeah. um, with either maybe a local or central government agency 
um, that you're going to get an X amount of money for performing a certain amount of work, yeah. but you just realistically... Um, you actually don't have any employees. and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just don't have the capacity or the yeah. capability to actually yeah. undertake um, that work. That sounds pretty reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so And look, there will be more examples of, of what that does mean. Yeah, and, and there'll be a need for case law. With any new law, eh, there, there is a need for a little bit of a test to the law as it beds in, you know, as we learn about it and learn about what it looks like with legs on. Most definitely. And look, this Act at the moment, it's it's the the bones of it, the framework is, is there, um, but there's certain regulations and a bit more finer detail is still being worked yeah. on, which is why um, they've actually extended the dates now um, where previously it was thought that the new act would come into play by the end of this year and that you would only have up until part of way through 2025. Yes. Um, but now that's all been pushed out, which is logical. You, in your opinion, as someone who's worked in in this field for many years, um, not ageing you here at all, you know, but, but for a long time, like what you know, what's your take when you look at this and, and your understanding about incorporated societies? Do you think that this is overall a good shift for the sector? Yes, I do. I, I think, if anything, it actually probably provides a little bit more protection to your officers. Yeah. Um, and um, I think it's it's going to actually, um, I believe, ensure that organisations um, have the constitution in front of them and are actually readily um, going through it and utilising it as a great framework and yeah. guideline for, especially some of the decision making that is made going forward, where as I said before, it's it's you know thrown in the back of a cupboard somewhere. Or yeah, it's, yeah, we've got it online, but we don't refer to it very yeah. often. Um, and for anyone who can't find their constitution, it is actually with the company's office, and you can go online there, can't you? And you can actually search for yourself in the company's office and download your document. So if you don't have a copy, that's that's where you would get it from. That's correct. And hopefully, uh, when you've made changes to your constitution, um, you have then um, filed those, um, yes. either the changes or um, if you've revamped your whole constitution, that yeah. the newer version has been um, logged um, with. And if the, it hasn't, you're actually still operating under your old one, aren't you? That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> so that's yeah. something to be aware of. It um, is indeed. Do you know what, I mean, and again, this is probably a little left of field and you may have no idea, but um, what, what are the consequences of not reincorporating? So if you just, just don't do it. So if you don't do it, um, you will be struck off the register. Mm -hmm. You will no longer be deemed uh, an existing um Incorporate society. Um, if you don't re-register with your new constitution by April 2026, yep. the um, Incorporate Society's office, at New Zealand Company's office, will um, will strike you off the, the register as such. So, so let's just say I'm a little dog club, um, you know, operating um, some basic obedience training. We're an incorporated society. We don't know much about this, so we just never really got round to doing anything. How might that actually impact? the work we do like you know are we acting illegally to continue to to operate as an incorporated society if we're not registered yes you're actually no longer deemed an incorporated society if you're not actually registered you can operate as a organization without a legal like structure just as a club we're yes. just a club yep yep you you can have an informal structure where you're not registered as either an incorporated society or a charitable trust 
However, the disadvantages of that, particularly around funding, yeah. most funders these days um, will only fund organisations that have a legal structure, yeah. i.e. an incorporate society or a charitable trust. Um, so that is um, probably a, uh, a large incentive for most organisations to, um, to um, yeah, become a legal structure. Yeah, it makes sense. So, so you know, so you can just be a small uh, book club, for example, group of people that just yes. come together once a month um, and you, you don't have to register um, if, um, if you're not looking at applying for funding yeah. and things like that. Um, and... It also, uh, if you do register, um, it does give you a little bit more protection if you are an officer of that organisation. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, our recommendation is that um, you do register to either be an incorporated society or a charitable trust. Um, however, you don't have to if you don't wish to. Yeah. Okay. No, that, that, that sounds really interesting. So what... When you look at um, the big changes side by side, and you have got there's some access to some really good information now, isn't there? Where you can really see what what it's all about, what it is you need to do as a group, and how it's differ how it's different from what it was. Yes, that's true. And look, um, Perryfield um, solicitors have brought out um, a really good resource, which is a comparison between the 1908 cool. and 2022 acts. Um, and it lists the key topics and sort of what is or isn't in the 1908 Act and then what is definitely included in the new Act going forward. So that that's really good and there's, there's about eight to ten um, key um, elements there. So where might someone find that? Yeah, so look, um, at the moment you can go onto the Perryfield um, website which is www.perryfield.com slash resources nice. um, and they have a really extensive um, page around the different resources and templates that you can download. Um, also the New Zealand Companies Office website has actually cool. um, quite a lot of um, information now around the changes to the um, Act. So uh, definitely you can go onto their two websites. Uh, Community Waikato ourselves, we will be um, updating our website yep. and in our weekly bulletin that we circulate, if you're um, registered to receive that each week, great resource. Um, yes. We also too have some, some information on there and also some links in there that you can go to those websites. And in the last minute and a half, if you're, if you're part of an organisation now and you're thinking about this, how would you get started? What's the first thing you think a group should do? Yeah, look, I definitely think it's finding a constitution in the first place. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, hopefully uh, someone has it at their fingertips and if you don't, um, if you can't find it, go onto the company's office, um, go under Incorporated Societies, look up the, your name of your organisation uh, and make sure um, that you can download it and have a good look through it. Uh, and if we can, Holly, just before we do finish, yes. um, it's also probably a really good time to have a think about is the incorporated society model right for your organisation? Um, a few organisations, as you say, back in the 90s, they were set up as incorporated societies, but maybe you don't have um, a huge membership yeah. uh, and uh, maybe is it time to think maybe is a charitable trust the better um, model for us going forward? So Perryfield Lawyers um, have a really good article um, that they've written um, around that as well. And some good questions are, is there a need for our organisation in the first place? You yeah. know, do we need to go through all this if there's not really much of a need going forward for our organisation? 
Is a membership organisation the most appropriate structure? Do we actually now even look at merging or joining another organisation, which is going to be a lot easier to do under yeah. the new Act? Um, and, yeah, do do we look at is maybe more a charitable trust the right option for us going forward? So those are some sort of thought-provoking um, questions out there for organisations as we go through this. That's that's marvellous, and I, I really appreciate you sharing this with us. And, and for some, it might, it might feel like it's going to be boring when you first start talking about it, but actually there's some really interesting stuff here. And, and I like what you say. This is actually about um, making it easier for incorporated societies, giving them the framework they need to do the good work they do. Yeah, and it's around demystifying some of that's the, right. um, you know, maybe... Um, thoughts around out there um, oh, constitution, compliance a lot of legal jargon um, but it's really around how this can be a great tool for your organisation going forward That's us for another week you've been listening to Connect with Community Wipers on 3 FM Thanks for listening to this Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support Free FM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com/freefm89 to find out more.